Welcome, Bible Fellowship. I'm glad you joined us again this week. And uh, this week, Pastor Jeremy and I are, are going to be talking about apologetics. Mm-hmm. So the reason this uh, topic came up was because of the death of Ravi Zachariah, which was... Well, that happened sometime this morning, I'm assuming. Uh, we're filming this on on Tuesday, May 19th. And uh, according to his obituary, that was the day that they put as his death. So, mm-hmm. And it must have happened sometime early in the hours of the day because I didn't see the post since, you know, the, the announcement of his death coming out until it was around maybe 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning when they posted that. But you assume that there was a gap of time, but... Nevertheless, um, yeah, so we thought uh, we'd pay a little bit of an homage to Ravi um, in appreciation for his work over, uh, from what I read on his website, I I did a little bit of background research, 48 years that he's been doing this kind of uh, ministry, uh, which is amazing, and definitely um, one of the, I think, the defining Christians of our era. Um, so it's a little bit of a, um, you know, the, the closing of an era. I kind of see, I see it that way a little bit anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, certainly a, a large ministry that he ran, mm-hmm. that he built, um, right. that, uh, all around that idea of, um, making sure that, uh, that Christians understood what they believed and why they believed it. Right. And, uh, and also, you know, gave him, he had, he had quite a pl- platform to be able to speak on that absolutely from because of his background and different things like that. Right. Um, I, I think that, um, yeah. I, I guess mean, closing of an era is the wrong way to put it. I, I didn't yeah. mean it like, you know, well now all he, the all, I, I didn't mean it as all that he's done is now ended because he's built a massive ministry. So uh, Ravi Zachariah International Ministries, or the website rzim.org, if you want to look it up, mm-hmm. um, has a staff of, I don't even know how many people. It's a huge staff. They're located in like 15 different countries across the world. They've got all kinds of people that work for him that have been trained in the same uh, style of apologetics. I mean, I've I've never met Ravi Zachariah personally, but I have met some of the people from uh, his ministry. In fact, you and I, we saw one of them at the, um, men's, conference. At the, yeah, the men's conference in Gaylord that we go to as a church. Mm-hmm. And we've had another one as a speaker come to Spring Folly, um, the youth gathering that I'm a part of. So, you know, I, I've had some familiarity with the extension of his ministry and I've no, I've never seen him in person or heard him in person myself, but you know, I've I've read a little bit of his material and watched some of his debates and lectures on YouTube and stuff like that. And one of the things that uh, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, his style, I guess you could say, is the grace that mm. he uses. You know, because sometimes you think of apologetics as winning an argument very confrontational <laughs> right? right it's like two people in a boxing ring and only yeah. one person's coming out <laughs> conscious that's that's how we think of it right and uh you know i just find that e- even some 
professional apologists that are active today are a little bit like that. They can be a little bit uh, focused so much on winning the argument or making the point that they might maybe sometimes lose the fact that it's a person asking the question or it's somebody with, uh, you know, maybe um, difficult experiences that have brought them to the point of asking these questions. Mm-hmm. And I always found whenever I listened to Ravi, he was he was just he focused on the person, you right. know, like he seemed to care about them as a person. Mm-hmm. He always answered them with grace. Yeah. At least that was my experience. And and I think that was a a really valuable sort of uh, method to use if you're going to defend Christianity. You can't just try and prove people wrong. No, no. And and it's and. Maybe a lot of that comes from just, uh, you know, realizing that that there's human beings involved in, right. in that whole process because apologetics can be at least, you know, my perspective. We're going to get into that in a minute, but my perspective is, is that apologetics tends to sometimes be very, um, you know, so linear and uh, and like you say, sometimes adversarial mm-hmm. in the to the point that, um, you know, it's like you, you get into a debate with somebody. Maybe that's why I don't like it because I tend to get aggressive, right? <laughs> when somebody's getting aggressive with, with me, then I get aggressive. Return some fire yeah, for fire. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> game on. We're going. That's it's right. go time. Oh, but, you think you're going to prove me yeah, wrong. Right. Exactly. Bring yeah. it on. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, that's part of, part of my own hang up, but one thing I, you know, I was thinking about it. You were talking about 48 years, and I'm like, wow, this has been 48 years. And then I started thinking, you know, I, I don't really remember much before the 90s, but we're in 2020 now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's been a while. So I guess I guess he's been around for a while. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, Global Reach, his mm-hmm. ministry, um, all around the world, one of the things that he seemed to specialize in, or at least take special interest in, which I appreciated, was going to college campuses. And, um, you know, thankfully they were still allowed to bring in speakers like that because more and more it seems like colleges and universities right. are not really into bringing in that kind of speaker. Um, but he, he was always very, um, you know, attuned. It, he, he, was a, he was able to mesh like real intellectualism. Uh, he's a he's a smart guy yes. when you listen yes. to him talk. So he could earn your respect if you yourself are a very highly educated academic style person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he seemed so personable, mm-hmm. you know, and it felt uh, like he was genuinely listening to the person asking the question or genuinely talking to them. Uh, he'd often like I one thing I noticed he would often do is ask them their name and things like that and then respond to them by their name and you know just that that touch makes it um feel a little bit more like you're kind of sitting down at a you know with a cup of coffee across the table from somebody who really cares about you not just someone who showed up on campus ready to make a point collect a paycheck and go home kind of thing mm-hmm. um and I don't want to broad brush 
all apologists, people who do that for a living that way. But that's one of the dangers, right? If you argue and debate for a living, <laughs> like you get good at it. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you, you just need to temper that a little bit mm. with remembering the purpose. The purpose is to make an impact in someone's life, not just win an argument. Right. And I think there's a principle that we as believers, I mean, I don't do that for a living. You mm-hmm. and I do preach, but right. it's not the same. And, uh, you know, most of the people listening to this are probably not preachers. Uh, they're, they're Christians, you know, mm-hmm. but we're called to evangelize. Mm-hmm. We're going to encounter people who, um, are looking for a fight or they're looking to prove you wrong. And a huge thing to, for us to remember is, you know, it's not about the fight. It's not about making the point and winning the argument. It's about them. Yeah. It's about the person. So yep. I think that that graciousness that he seemed to exemplify really well on a professional stage, large scale, is something that we on the ground level, us normal Christians, <laughs> you know, need to, uh, we need to adopt that right. when we interact with other people. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, that kind of brings us to our, really uh, the the focal point or our topic for today, which is what is the role of apologetics in a Christian's life or in a church or in our church or, you know, what, what, what role should it play? What role does it play? And you and I have had conversations around this in the past. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and I, I don't know as we really see it differently, but I think a little bit of different emphasis probably, um, that we've, each brought to that conversation. Right. So, um, so what do you think? What do you think the role that apologetics should or does play in the church? Is it good or is it bad? Well, certainly it's got um, strengths and weaknesses because it is one style of evangelism. At least I think of it that way. It, yeah. it is a form of evangelism, but it is only one of several different ways you could evangelize. So I think if we keep in mind the fact that it is a style, not necessarily the style, then it's valuable. And I guess what I mean by that is apologetics is really centered around ideas. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the ability to take a statement or a, cl- a truth claim and then provide evidence and support that it's a valid claim and it can stand the test of scrutiny and that kind of thing of, and, and be able to resist some of the counter opinions that you might push back with. Now that's a very intellectual way of thinking about things. And I think there's a place for it, right? There's a place for it. I Mm -hmm. think the, you know, for example, the great commandment says to love the Lord, your God with all your heart. That's not a surprise Mm -hmm. with all your soul, with all your mind. Mm -hmm. That's a weird way. I said this before. That's a weird way to talk. Love God with your mind. Right. Like if I went, this is my example of how weird it is. If I went to my wife mm-hmm. and said, "Hun, I just want you to know, <laughs> I love you with all my mind." That's weird, right? <laughs> it's weird. But the Bible talks that way. And I think that there seem to be people who are more driven to emotional type of a, a Christian expression and some people who are more intellectual Christian expression. 
-hmm. Both are important. I think I see both in the pages of scripture. And as long as we keep that balance there, it can be healthy. I think of apologetics as focusing more on the intellectual side of things Mm -hmm. and that that's a valid thing because, you know, we're called to believe and search for the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an intellectual concept. We're called to be able to give a reason or a defense for the hope we have. That that's everybody's favorite apologetics verse. Um, so if somebody says to you, like, "Why are you a Christian?" You need to have an answer, and it needs to have reason. It needs to make sense. It needs to be coherent. At least that's the way we traditionally interpret that verse. Yeah. yeah. Whether or not that's the only way to, might be a different story. Um, but definitely. I think apologetics are valuable. It is valuable in the sense that there are legitimate intellectual obstacles people have to overcome to have a thriving and growing faith in Christ. And to the degree that it can answer some of those, that's great. I think it's good. Mm -hmm. But I know it's not the only thing, and you've got a slightly different perspective. (laughs) So let me... I'll give you a second to push back and well, I don't you ba- know. Let's, let's say balance it out. Yeah, let's balance it out. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think that I. I necessarily disagree with it. Uh, right. Part of it, I think, does stem from um, maybe a lot of that when I was growing up. Mm. Like when I was growing up, that I seemed didn't to have be, any when I grew up. That's yeah, the right. difference here. It, that seemed to be uh, really those who had the intellectual high ground um, seemed to win, mm-hmm. even in Christian circles. Really. Like, like that's, that's how you determined what was right and wrong, mm-hmm. is you, you know, the person with the best argument and, uh, you know, the, the most proof text and all these different things became the one that mm-hmm. this is, you know, now we've determined exactly what God wants. Or sometimes would you say even the person who's the most articulate? Yes, and sometimes oftentimes you, you can just communicate better. You're just you're just better at being able to right. um, uh, to to speak in, in in those subject areas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a part of it, and it all kind of gets bound up. If you, I don't want to get too deeply into it, but um, dispensational theology, um, Charles Ryrie. You've got basic theology. You've got systematic theology, which right. um, is valuable. It it really is valuable because it categorizes all the different theological concepts that you find scripturally, or, or the major ones that we feel are valuable. That's one of its weaknesses is is that it only takes out the ones that we find that are valuable right. at this time. Someone, someone's picking and choosing what <clears throat> exactly. categories we're going to use, right? Uh, yeah, what the categories are going to be. <clears throat> and um, so unfortunately, you know, you, I, I, I got a lot of that early on. And, and I think um, so throughout the course of my ministry, it's uh, like that, that formed a foundation that has served me well mm. my whole life. So is apologetics necessary? Is it valuable? I, I say yes right. on both counts. Sure. Um, can, it, can we go too far with it? Do some people get stuck right there? Like all they do is love God with their mind? 
and they didn't move on. Right. Like their heart hasn't really been pierced. They really haven't mm-hmm. experienced Christ in a, you know, in a tangible way. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that if I, again, were to argue against it, um, not against it, that's, that's a really poor way to put it. But if I were to push back against it a little bit, counterbalance, um, I I would say that, you know, we're called to be ambassadors and an ambassador is, is what I have, um, formulated in my mind, whether it be philosophically or, or rational, uh, you know, construction, um, and because I can prove it that way, does that is that what I'm here to to be a witness of? I mean, that's part of it, right? But I have to be. If you're not a witness of what Christ has done in your life, and that's where, um, you know, like you said, uh, Ravi Zachariah, um, and uh, you know, well, especially him and his ministry. I think have done a really great job of being able to balance that out of yeah. being able to share it with grace of being able to understand that there's real lives involved, It'd be able to understand that if our lives weren't changed by Christ, none of it would matter anyway. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how well we could prove it. Right. And so that's my fear or maybe not my fear, but that's the thing that helps me kind of keep balanced is I don't want to convince somebody rationally that that's not the be all and end all. Like when somebody comes to that point, I feel like they're at a beginning point Mm. with their walk with Christ, that it has to go beyond that. It's got to go deeper. I mean, for example, you could, well, you could point out to the fact that Satan himself has pretty accurate theology. Yes. He just hates it. Yes. <laughs> he knows who God is, right? Like he, he understands and he hates him. Yep. So correct knowledge yep. is The demons believe. <laughs> and yeah, yep. right. They they know. They know. Right. I mean, they you know, throw themselves at Jesus' feet and say, "We know who you are, the holy one of God." Right. Uh, yep. But that doesn't mean that they love him. That doesn't right. mean they submit to him. So knowledge is only half the battle, right? right? It, yep. it is a it is a fundamental part of the Christian life, mm-hmm. without a doubt. It's just not the end of the Christian life. So I, I would agree with your assessment that that his ministry in particular did a really healthy job mm-hmm. of of balancing, you know, those realities. And I'm not so sure that everybody who leans towards apologetic style of of uh, thinking or, or evangelizing, I'm not always so sure that they strike that same balance. Mm-hmm. So right. I think it is important for particularly the people who are listening slash watching mm-hmm. um, to ask that of yourself, mm-hmm. to ask a, of yourself, you know, are you focused? If you're an apologetic style person, are you focused on being right? Are you focused on winning an argument? Or are you focused on the person that you're trying right. to reach? You know, if you think that if, if you craft an argument that's just airtight, like they can't pop this balloon, 
man, I got them cornered now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're going to come to Jesus now. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, right? There's yeah. I, and, and I might even say, I might even argue that it's almost detrimental sometimes. I, I think mean, that's true. I've, I love my pets. I, I don't know how much I want to share, divulge right now. But, you know, I, I've, like Christy and I have almost always had a dog. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I can tell you from training dogs, from, you know, raising them from puppies, things like that, that when you corner that dog, right, they're going to fight. Yeah. And you've lost the argument right there. That's a good way to think of it. Yeah. You, you know, know, winning, sometimes if you win the argument, no one really wins. Yeah. You know, right. Um, so you got to remember that there is a spiritual side to being a Christian. Being a Christian is not, I believe all the right things only. Mm-hmm. It's also, I've had a transformed heart. Now you need to know some certain things to have that transformed experience. I think you need to understand your need for a savior. You need to see Jesus as the one to turn to repentance. You know, there's some building blocks that need to be there. Um, but without that heart transformation, right? they're just a really smart person yeah. destined for separation from God. Yeah. Um, so we need to pray, you know, that's a mm-hmm. big part of it. And, mm-hmm. and disciple. Yes. You know, um, I, I think of, in fact, I, you know, when we were chatting about this idea for the podcast, I threw this example out there of Rosaria Butterfield. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if everybody listening knows who that is, but she was um, a, uh, a college or no, she was an, uh, an, a university teacher, a professor, mm-hmm. and she was a lesbian and in a lesbian relationship. And she was, you know, the head of the camp on campus for the LGBTQ class and the group and everything and she was very entrenched in that world Mm. and the long the the long story short is she became a believer um and she's a christian now but her retelling of that conversion experience did not involve uh you know uh somebody saying here's why you're wrong on all these issues and Mm. now i've proven the point now you must convert Mm -hmm. it was a pastor and his wife who invited her over for dinner mm. and then they did it again the next week and the next week and the next week and she got to n- know them mm-hmm. and they got to know her on a personal level and they became friends yeah people with these diametrically opposed worldviews they became friends and it was the witness you know that really broke through to her was not that they had all the arguments that were better than hers or something like that it was love they demonstrated true care for her, right? Yes. And yep. that won the day. Yep. So that's kind of, I think, what you're saying more or less. In a I am, pre-pat- except I'm actually going to prove your point uh, okay. a little bit because okay. <laughs> one of the things I do remember about her biography um, of that, or I don't know if it was a biography, but uh, her her story, kind of is, her, yeah. her testimony um, in in her book is that she was was very impressed by uh, the fact that this pastor and his wife were pretty intellectual and mm-hmm. they understood all the arguments. They didn't necessarily agree with her, right? But they understood them and they were well versed in them. And that is a part of 
apologetics is understanding what other people believe and um, being able to then understand why you believe what you believe in spite of their viewpoints or mm. perspective. So so there's multiple er- there's two errors to avoid, right? One is to be the kind of Christian who if somebody comes at you intellectually and you seem like you have no idea what you're talking about, you right. have no support for your belief system, they won't respect that. Right. Right? They're going to think, "Well, you're just a naive sheep. You believe blindly." That kind of thing. The other hand is to be someone who does have all the arguments, but you're just a total jerk. Right. Right? Either one of those are I mean, obviously I'm polarizing it to the extremes, but mm-hmm. those two are uh, approaches that are major flawed. They got major, yeah. major flaws. But if you combine them, mm-hmm. somebody who loves people, mm-hmm. genuinely cares about them, wants to show them Christ's love in action, and is somebody who is respectful and understanding, knows why they believe what they believe, is willing to ask you about your faith and can exchange with you on a really a meaningful level. It's like that's a powerful combination mm-hmm. for a Christian witness. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's fair to say at Bible Fellowship we want our people to be like that. We try to we just strive to be I I think overall I think we really strive to be balanced. Yes. Like in in all areas of our lives. Um I I think that's valuable it's important it it uh and and i think we have to be human you know uh the idea that we're you know like like if if we get caught up in perfection um we're gonna fail miserably at that and we're also gonna alienate those who aren't perfect which is the world we live in Mm -hmm. so um do we need to strive to be righteous Yes, but a lot of times righteousness gets equated to perfection. And ultimately, we cannot have righteousness without Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what, you know, that's what I, that's that's what gets me excited every day is mm-hmm. knowing that I wake up, I'm not perfect, uh, I made mistakes, that God has forgiven me, that I still have a relationship with him, that we're going to move forward with our relationship together. Right. And um, that's, and I desire for other people to have that kind of peace because, you know, if, if we get caught up in every, in now I say that I, I need to back up just a little bit because when I say perfection, you know, that's what, that's another one of those things that pops into my head when I think of apologetics is that, you know, there's this drive for the the perfect answer, oh, the I perfect, see what you mean. the mm-hmm. you know the the, the and, and to always be right, and um, I I think that that also alienates people. It's like, yeah, you can be the most intellectual person in the world, and if you're convinced that you're right all the time, all you're going to convince me of is your arrogance. That's true, um, and that's that's one of the weaknesses of of at least, I mean, I don't want to disparage other believers, but I, I do see some apologetics, whether apologists, whether they be professional or wannabe apologists, who feel like they have an answer for everything and are just not willing to sometimes say, "I don't know," right? Because I I know from Scripture 
I mean, the Bible tells us, right, that mm-hmm. we, right now, we know in part, we see in part, but we don't understand everything. God has not revealed to us all of the answers to our questions, which means if you're going to be an apologist, even if that is, you know, on a ground level to your friends and family kind of thing, you've got to be willing at some point to say, I don't have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, the the Bible doesn't say, and I don't want to presume to know all things and understand all things. And people are sometimes afraid of that because it feels like you lost. You right. just conceded the battle when you say, mm-hmm. I don't know. On the other hand, maybe you have earned respect. Maybe. Um, because you're being honest and you're not trying to just prove a point. Right. Or... Uh, or avoid losing or whatever you right. want, however you want to say it. Right. Um, and so that, that is one of the, one of the weaknesses, right. Of apologetics is, is that they can take you so far, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Now it, that's okay. Right. That's okay. Um, I would want to say, don't forget to pray for people. Yeah. Right. If you've, that's what you were getting at when you talk about having the perfect argument, you can walk Mm -hmm. away from a conversation and feel like, man, I blew it. They're never Mm going to come to Jesus now because I totally botched that argument. I know there's a good one, but I forgot it. (laughs) I had it memorized (laughs) once the three step plan of how I can prove my point or whatever. And then you feel like game over. They'll never become a Christian because I, I failed. And that's not how it works, right. <laughs> right? I mean, if we needed to have a perfect presentation of Christ in order for someone to be saved, right. nobody would be saved, no. right? Yeah. God's using clay jars that are busted up with holes in them mm-hmm. <laughs> just to accomplish things we have no reason to be accomplishing. Yep. And it's because his power yep. is running through our obedience and it's not always running through your airtight argument. Right. If you have an airtight argument, great. But it, it really runs through. I mean, if you if you look in the Bible about shining your light, mm-hmm. it's mainly around the ideas of good deeds. Mm-hmm. Let your good deeds be seen by all. Right. That's how you shine your light. It's really your character. Right. The the change in your life from Christ. Yeah. When you have Christ in your life. And you have peace when you shouldn't have peace. And you have love when you should have hatred. And you have forgiveness when you should have resentment. That's a light. Yeah. And that is one thing that there's no argument against that. No. Right? Well, and but unfortunately, let's let's just argue the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, if it becomes all about experience, let's say, your experiences and what you experience. If you cannot defend your experiences with um, some, you know, intellectual, uh, explanation of, you know, what, what has happened or what you understand the Bible to say, or why you believe the Bible is true or why you believe that Christ died and rose again. I mean, if you can't, if you don't put any practical, uh, uh, evidence out there, um, then you you know you 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 have two problems i mean one is is that most people in our culture today in the culture of google and i can just google it and find out the answer right um are are looking for answers and so 
you're not going to look very credible just saying, right. oh, well, I had this feeling. Um, I, I just know, I just feel his presence. Mm. So, um, you know, so that's, I think, the, that's the opposite danger. That's where you lose that balance. And, and so I think where I'm going with this is um, you mentioned discipleship earlier Mm -hmm. and I think that's where we get um confused sometimes is that you know discipleship is living life with people Mm -hmm. walking with them day to day it may one day include a little bit of apologetics sure another day it might include your own personal story and how Christ has changed your life another day it's going to be something that you learned because you read it in your devotions and then you ran across somebody and had the opportunity to share it with them and it made a difference in their life. I mean, there's all kinds of things that discipleship is and it shouldn't just be apologetics. Absolutely. And so, you know, and, and, and so where I'm going with that is, is that uh, Ravi Zachariah had, a tremendous ministry. Um, it is an organization, right? They built an organization that does this ministry that's had great impact all over the world. I've appreciated any time that I've read any of his books. I have learned and grown through it. I have learned and grown through uh, speakers that have come uh, as a part of his ministry right. and uh, that I've heard, uh, videos that I've watched of him, all that kind of stuff has had a great impact on my life. Um, But I wonder uh, what kind of pastor would Ravi Zachariah be? And and I don't mean that, I'm I'm not trying to be critical of him at all. I'm saying he did what he was called to do. Right. And shepherding- He did, absolutely. Shepherding and pastoring, say, a flock, uh, a a local church, you know, I mean, first of all, half of us would be baffled every Sunday when we walked out of that place. I don't know about you, but <laughs> guy wears me out. I mean, it's, uh, sometimes reading his books, I got I got to read little snippets yeah. and then think about it. Listening to someone yeah. who's smarter than you sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard work. <laughs> but so anyway, I just say all that to say that we all have different callings. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, my point is we all have different callings. We all have uh, what we bring to God's kingdom and uh you know and and we just got to go in our calling and not mm. not say to ourselves well I need to be that kind of Christian right one with all the answers yes. um and because I don't have all the answers then I'm not a very good Christian that's another danger that's out there and I don't want to monopolize our time here but that's just some of the thoughts that I have when it comes to it um, yeah. Well, valuable. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about God giving the church, you know, evangelists, pastors, teacher, mm-hmm. uh, teachers, prophets, etc. Exactly. And Ravi became aware at a young age. I think he was like 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyways, he became aware really early in his life that evangelism is his niche. That's how God's gifted him. Mm-hmm. And he just plowed in one direction and mm-hmm has left a, a massive, very powerful legacy behind him. Yep. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're all called to imitate and be exactly like him. 
you may not be gifted that way. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're the kind of person who listens to them and you think, man, that's such a great argument. That's such a great point. And then you go out and try and use it yourself, you know, yeah. and you botch it miserably. Right. Maybe you're just not Ravi Zachariah. Like be who exactly. God created you to be. Learn from him if you can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like learn from oh, yeah. guys like Ravi. Learn from whoever, you know, you can learn from. There's nothing wrong with that. But be who you are, who God made you to be. And that's how God intends to use you. You yeah. know, he designed you a certain way to fulfill a certain purpose that he has for your life. And I think that's, uh, again, balance really is is key in this whole thing. Yeah. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. You alluded to it um, uh, when we were talking about discipleship. When we think of apologetics, we usually think more in terms of evangelism. Do you think that discipleship and evangelism are really all that different (laughs) i think that should be a podcast yeah that's our own podcast (laughs) so that's its own one uh okay i'll I'll throw a little nugget out there then yeah okay go ahead are you gonna say well my my answer is i don't think they're as different as we assume they are is that what you were gonna say i i i absolutely agree okay so why would you say that Give, give me like the two minute version well, the the uh, the the cliff notes are. I, I just I really believe that's what Jesus did. He called these guys to come follow him, but that didn't mean that day one they were like they had prayed a prayer, asked for forgiveness, repentance, and you know I mm-hmm. I feel like discipleship begins the moment we meet somebody, mm-hmm. and if we had that perspective, sometimes um, I think we'd be more effective. Mm. We'd we'd be able to you know have have a chance like you you've got to build a relationship with somebody for them to see your life and to see what you believe and to see how you make decisions and to see you go through a difficult situation and then be able to um, you know what what do you apply to that situation how do you have peace in the middle right. of that so um, befriending people and you know looking at them. I, I would look at everybody in my life that doesn't know Christ yet as a disciple. Mm. So we are all re- one way to look at it is we're already in discipleship relationships. We just don't use that term. We're right. not thinking as intentionally. We think, see, my, my, the reason I asked you that question about evangelism and discipleship is because I feel like evangelism culture has taken over the North American church. And what I mean by that is we are pushing for conversions. Mm-hmm. And it's like once that person prays their prayer, does the altar call, raises their hand, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. we won. Right. It's, it's game over. Like we have now achieved what we needed to do, bringing souls into the kingdom. The flaw with that approach is it's like, what now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, too many people... They do become Christians, but nobody bothers to come alongside them and, and walk with them. Right. And, and like you say, that's what Jesus did. When his disciple, when he went to his disciples and said, follow me, and they got up and did it, I think probably none of them really knew what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. Like, so they, they, I don't think, <laughs> like, when they made that commitment, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. Mm-hmm. 
I don't really even think they knew what they were doing. Wait, wait, wait I got to follow you tomorrow too. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was just making a decision. Yeah, exactly. Now I've got my <laughs> ticket to heaven. Come on, man. It doesn't. So yeah, I mean, the reason I think that that's important is when we talk about apologetics, we usually do it in the context of evangelism. Right. Right. I'm going to get a non-saved person saved. Mm-hmm. Valid goal. Obviously, it's built into the great commission but the the word is usually disciple make disciples of all the nations and i just feel like apologetics needs to be something that's morphed into our lifestyle more than like an event right it's not just Mm -hmm. like an event where we had an argument about a topic i presented my uh you know step one two three to get to the answer now i'm done your life is an apology is Mm. and apologetic mm-hmm. how you live your life like you allude to when you go through hardship and yet you still have peace when you don't lose your faith in the midst of a trial when you still cling to christ when there's no rational reason to do so right that's an apologetic mm-hmm. i mean especially we don't face it in a lot but especially persecution right if you're willing to die for that and not recant your faith. You know, that's one of the greatest apologetic witnesses. There's no step-by-step argument. Mm-hmm. It's just, I value this more than life itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's we don't face that usually in our situation. Our culture is just not there for the most part. Nevertheless, you know, that principle of our life is an apologetic. Mm-hmm. Um And that our relationships need to be considered discipleship opportunities over time. We can't lose sight of that. Right. Yeah. I agree. I think that on that, uh, a a little bit of shift off from that, but um, uh, apologetics tends to be, I don't know if I I might, this might not be a good characterization. So I I should be careful here, but. but Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, exactly. But I, I tend to believe that apologetics sometimes become an excuse for men in particular because men don't like to deal with their emotions. I was just thinking the same thing. And, and yeah, and they don't and they don't like to, you know, they don't like to talk about things in terms of, you know, their emotional yeah. perspective of of what's going on. They don't even want to share that. I mean, they have them. We have them. Yes. But we just bury them someplace. Yeah. And some people can't remember where they buried it, but that's another. Mm. <laughs> but so I, I feel like, and and so I feel like that's how men are able to articulate what they believe and how they believe it and how they've come to believe it. And so even when we like say evangelize, we know we should be evangelists and share uh, what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's our go-to. We go to that instead of dealing with it uh, more on a, a level of this is how I feel or this is what Christ has done in my life or mm. this is an experience that I had, you know, I'd have to be vulnerable to share those things. Yeah, vulnerable. Here's a key word. And so um, I think, and and on and to contrast it, uh, the other side of it, and I think this happens too often on the other side of the gender scale, but for women tend to, I mean, none of these things are hard, fast rules, but they tend to 
maybe focus more on the experience and more on their emotions and more about how they felt and they're more comfortable talking about those things than they are talking about um you know uh the some of these more tangible things or or speaking to it um from that perspective so you know i i think that again it's really good for us to um uh to take cues like for me, I'm fortunate enough to have found somebody that would marry me, and she did it for, and she's been doing it for a long time. And uh, so I appreciate her perspective. When I start getting all black and white and linear, and this is what makes sense and this doesn't make sense, then she enters in with, hey, have you ever thought about this? Well, how do you think that person feels? What do you, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying because. You can take the approach of facts don't care about your feelings. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and we tend to do that sometimes. Right. And then it's like, well, yeah, but people have feelings. Right. Um, so maybe you don't want to just stomp all over people right. uh, in order to get your facts across. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's God's wisdom. It's just like we talked about with denominations, God's wisdom and variety, mm-hmm. you know, that if God made the whole body of Christ or even one person, you know, only one way and we just isolated ourselves from anybody who was different and never, you know, th- there's a balance. There's a there's a reason that God has made men and women different. There's a reason he's made people with unique personalities and interests. And it is really, I, th- I think there's greater strength in the long run from our differences that we can learn from each other and keep right. each other from from going uh, too far in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess pastorally for Bible fellowship, because, I mean, that's the church you and I are called to, mm-hmm. you know, to lead and to shepherd. What we desire is for our people to pursue, um, you know, a strong intellect, an, an intellectual faith, mm-hmm. right? Read yep. apologetics books. Understand why you believe what you believe. Understand the reasons for why the Bible can be trusted and et cetera, right? For sure. Know those things and be a passionate worshiper of God and a mm-hmm. lover of people. Like both of those things need to go side by side. And that's the kind of church that we want to build. And that's the kind of people you and I want to be. Um, My worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Isn't that right. wild? Yeah. Wow, God thought of this before yeah. we did. <laughs> <laughs> we might be yeah. on to something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I like it. I mean, be, um, you know, be a balanced person. Learn from everybody. Um, a, sometimes it's good to stretch yourself outside of your comfort zone. So if you're one of those intellectual men, you know, <laughs> and uh, you like to read theology, but, you know, you don't want to go to a small group where someone asks, how are you doing? Right. <laughs> how are you feeling today? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it, you got to balance that out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. be who you are, but just recognize uh, you are an emotional being. And there's, there's value in all of it. Yeah. Right. There's there's value in that balance. And, yeah. And when you strike that balance, I think you really begin to. Uh, grow as a person it you know if if we always did what we like to do uh we probably wouldn't be very uh, we'd be pretty shallow people 
you ever thought about the fact that God designed church services? I mean, I, I don't know if I'm stretching this, but it seems consistent to include a sermon and singing, mm-hmm. which almost feels like borderline. One is very emotional, like the singing is a very emotional experience, and a sermon is a little bit more of an intellectual one, and God kind of wants both those together. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, somebody needs to to look into that more <laughs> and see if I'm <laughs> onto something, but it just feels to me like it's intentional. You know, yeah. so well, even when Paul said in Ephesians, he he said, speaking to one another in psalm, hymns and spiritual psalms, right. so, songs. So so you've got like these psalms, the word of God. Um, you've got right. uh, hymns that are, uh, you know, I, I, even in their day, uh, a hymn was a very intellectual thing. And then you've got spiritual songs, which are more of the contemporary sounds like it right yeah Yeah, i mean it sounds that way and and that's one criticism of contemporary worship music is that it it doesn't it feels like it doesn't have a lot of depth sometimes yeah so um we have to we have to learn that there's a balance again in all these things Mm -hmm. so pastor jeremy uh we talked about this just briefly before we uh started our are doing this podcast today Mm -hmm. and i i thought we'd wrap up with uh just your own experiences because apologetics were you know maybe uh you you can think of some specifics of how yeah that impacted you when you were younger yeah i mean i um i grew up with what i would say is a little bit more of an emotional version of christianity it was based a lot on your commitment level to God. And um, so I like it's opposite what you experienced having mm-hmm. a, having heard all the arguments over and over and over. I, I really didn't. Um, so long. The long story short is when I was in high school, um, I didn't have any like almost no Christians went to my high school. My brother and a few of his friends are like the only Christians that went to my high school. It was like a spiritual wasteland, just as the way it was. Um, so I made friends with people who were not believers. Now, over time, that did have a negative effect on me. Uh, There's a few of them in particular who were pretty strong in their uh, angst against religion. And what freaked me out is uh, they had arguments that I didn't Good know arguments. how to answer. Yeah. <laughs> like they were the ones who were arguing against Christianity, against the idea of God. And, and I, I was surprised by their arguments um, because I just didn't know what to say in response to them. And they, they were quote, this is right around the same era when guys like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, the, the new atheist, Mm-hmm. movement was coming out and hitting YouTube because YouTube was just starting to become a thing. And that was one of the first things that <laughs> landed on YouTube was these atheism lectures and stuff like that. And it freaked me out because uh, it was like, wow, um, have I been believing something ridiculous this whole time? I've grown up with this. I don't know anything else. And here are people with, you know, they're they're poking holes in the Bible and saying, it's stolen from other mythologies yes. and it's been tainted over time and uh, science disproves God and these, all these kind of things. 
And in my heart, I was like, no, that can't be true. But in my mind, I was like, well, what do you have to push back with? Nothing. So I was so fortunate because I really didn't know what I was doing or where I was going. But I just I just decided, okay, I don't want to be a blind Christian. I'm either I'm going to dig into this myself. And I'm either going to come out a Christian or not. I was ready to give it up because I just didn't want to be someone who believed it because I was supposed to. And I am so thankful because I, and I don't even remember how it happened. But the first book that I got was The Case for Christ mm. by Lee Strobel. Mm-hmm. And Lee Strobel, as many of you would know, and I know you know, you know, he was an atheist who was a journalist and went on this pursuit to disprove Christianity and ended up becoming a Christian. So he wrote this book, The Case for Christ, and it was uh, interviews with all these different Christians, and some of them were apologists, some of them were like scholars uh, or pastors and things like that. And it's basically a collection for, here's why you can believe that Jesus was a real historical figure who claimed to be Mm -hmm. the Son of God, who died on a cross and really did rise from the dead, and everything is true. Now, that book didn't necessarily seal the deal for me, but... It gave me one, a little bit of like a, whew, there are, uh, there are at least people who feel like they can answer these questions. Right. And it gave me names because there's like 10 interviews in this book. And I'm like, now I've got some leads, right? I can look into all these people and find out what did they write? Do they have stuff on YouTube and this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it opened up a world for me where I discovered, holy cow, people have asked these questions before and have answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that gave me ground to stand on that. I hadn't completely lost my mind. I still wasn't convinced <laughs> it was true yet. I wasn't quite there, but it, it gave me something to dig into. Um, it's cause I, I had never met anybody who talked like this, who had intellectual or academic right. credibility and things like that. Um, and so that, that, got me back into reading my Bible hmm. uh, really for the first time, really reading it. Cause I'm like, okay, these people say there's contradictions. Mm-hmm. I got to find out. I got to read this for myself. Like hmm. I need to find out. These people are saying Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, did he? Like I, I never really thought about it, you know, all these kinds of things. Hmm. Um, and so that was really integral for me in terms of getting back into my Bible. And then it felt like, over time, the questions one by one dropped off and God became real to me again. Actually, I wouldn't even say again. He became more real to me than ever before. And I, I to this day, I don't know if I had a conversion experience then mm-hmm. or if I was already or a believer. You've just been discipled your whole life. Yeah. And that was that <laughs> was a, you know, shooting me up another level uh-huh. of my relationship with God. I right. don't know. I really don't know. So when people ask me, like, when did you get saved? My answer is, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometime back there, exactly. I don't know. But I will say for sure that the depth of my relationship with God, mm-hmm. a big part of it, a big piece of that puzzle was some of those apologetic style arguments and information. Um, it's not the only piece, but it was uh, an integral one. Yeah. Yeah. Well... You know how you would have known if you weren't a believer? I suppose I would have just walked away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I didn't, so right. God had his hand on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, wonderful. I, yeah. yeah. That's, 
God's that's grace. Great. Yep, it is. That's all it is. It is, and we're all we're all recipients of that. And uh, it doesn't, you know, it, at the end of the day, uh, if you're not a great apologist, um, that doesn't mean that you're not a great Christian. And if you are, and you use that to help others find Christ, then that's fantastic, and yeah. it's a blessing. And it's a blessing to the body of Christ. And at, for all of us, we need to remember that this experience of following Christ, walking with Christ, finding Christ, it, it is all a miraculous work of his hand and his, as a result of his grace and mercy. And we're just, I'm grateful to be a follower of Christ. And I know that I'm a follower of Christ today because I'm a follower of Christ. I mean, that's uh, it, there's lots of reasons not to mm. these days. Sure, and um, it's just a, a great privilege and blessing to be able to know Him and to know peace and His joy. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, um, I encourage you to like or subscribe to our YouTube channel if that's where you found it. Um, if you're on, if you're watching it on the YouTube channel and you wish that you could pause it and you wish that you could watch it while you, or listen to us while you uh, drive or some other activities that you might be doing around the house, um, then you can go to Spotify or you can download the app and search for us, Sue Fellowship, all one word, and our podcast should come up, I think, at the top of that list. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining us today. I hope that uh, this brings value to your week. And um, I hope that it gives you a little bit of insight into Pastor Jeremy. And this is what we spend most of our day doing. It's just, <laughs> no, <laughs> just debating subjects like apologetics. But anyway, was this episode eight? I believe so. Okay. So we didn't announce that at the beginning, but episode eight. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.